0: Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by Parent Sense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host Meg Forer is a well-known OT infant specialist and the author of eight parenting books. Each week we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host.
1: Welcome back mums and dads. I'm Meg Fora and this is Sense by Meg Fora, your weekly dose of sense to do with your babies. Each week, I join you and we talk about a variety of topics. We go as far and wide as sleep to development and stimulation, all the way across to potty training. And very often, the topic comes up of feeding. And that's the topic we're going to be talking about today. And sometimes I'll be talking to a real mum, and we're going to be talking about what's going on in her feeding journey. And sometimes I have an expert. And the expert who usually joins me to talk about feeding is Kath McGaw. Kath is a pediatric dietitian. She's based in Cape Town, South Africa. She got her pediatric dietetics qualification from the John Hopkins University in the United States. She runs a super busy practice. Um, she sees um, neonates and prem babies all the way through into picky toddlers and picky children and uh, tricky eaters, as well as looking at ketogenic diets for little ones who've got epilepsy. So she really is the expert when it comes to pediatric dietetics. And Kath, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome you back here today. Oh, thanks for having me. Love being on. It's always such a pleasure. Kath and I have written three books together and you've given input on a, on an additional couple of mine. Mm-hmm. How many books have you written? How many titles do you have?
2: I've got five.
1: Yeah, including we've done. Yeah. Excellent. And the biggest seller of that for both of us across the board is weaning sense. So many of you will be weaning sense mummies. So you will have weaned your babies with our journey um, that has a look at collab weaning, which is really a collaborative approach to weaning your little one. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that's really, really a hot topic. It's the topic of weight gain in babies. And you know, I think as a mum, and I'm a mum of three, as you know, it was really something that I always measured my success on. How much is my baby weighing? How much weight are they gaining? And in fact, Kath, it'll horrify you probably to know that with my first baby, I wasn't a terribly brilliant breastfeeder, which I think I've told you before, but I came across a clinic sister in Cape Town who told me that we had to do pre-feed and post-feed ways. And so I'd go in and we'd weigh James. I then breastfeed him and with tears in my eyes, she would tell me, No, he's only gained sixty grams of whatever it is. You've only fed him sixty mils of milk or whatever it was. And we'd all be in tears about the fact that I must maybe stop breastfeeding and rather go into bottle feeding. So I became Absolutely obsessed with the scale and obsessed with the feeding charts and the, and the growth charts. And I think that's a lot of the journey for a lot of mums. Of course, there's a flip side to that, which is when babies have obesity and weigh too much. And that probably is more of a concern to you in some respects. And I'd love to touch on that today. But today we're really going to talk about everything from too little weight gain to too much weight gain and everything in between. And Kath is going to weigh in on it. So Kath, I'm super excited about today's topic. I know it's close to your Heart.
2: yeah absolutely i think it like you said it's a topic that probably is one of the areas that causes the biggest concern for moms and also one of the areas like you mentioned that can almost define whether a mom continues breastfeeding or mm-hmm. doesn't or you know changes formula or doesn't and and measuring our success as moms by our child's weight in the early days is is mm-hmm. very real so yeah i'm really excited for this chat
1: yeah, no, that is exactly what it is. It's that kind of measuring your success. There's so few measures of success as a new mum, and yeah. it, you know the scale becomes one of those. So let's start at the beginning and let's actually turn back the clock to actually pretty much what I had spoken about when when James was little, and that was that you know he he really didn't gain weight brilliantly. I don't think I was a good milk cow, although he's a thriving, strapping young man now, but. If we're speaking to new mums, how much weight should a newborn gain each week?
2: So, so we normally average between 100 and 200 grams a week in the newborn stage, which is the first six weeks. So, and then it's we start to allow for a kind of a less, a slower gain as they get into the next six weeks, up to three months. So, we might go down to 80 to 180 kind of range as as it some children even gain up to 240 grams a week some consistently gain around 80 to 90 grams so i think what's important here is not necessarily how much they are gaining but are they gaining to stay on their curve and i think that is really important so with the growth charts and that we look at curves and the story versus just that individual number
1: yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and I think that's really important to point out that it is about the curves. It's not about exactly what happens week on week. Because I think what can become is this absolute obsession. Even if you're gaining at the bottom end of the hundred to two hundred grams a week, which James was gaining on the bottom end of that, you know, mm-hmm. I became completely obsessed with the fact that he had to gain this one hundred, this mm-hmm. like there was this number that had to be. Mm-hmm. But actually I think what you're saying is that is that it's it's more about what their curve is doing than about the actual number of what they're gaining.
2: and we also need to remember that they also grow in length so for all the moms who have new babies they will realize they grow in length because they grow out of their baby grows so and you know how quickly you go through those early baby grows and so some weeks they'll grow more in length and others they're going to grow more in weight And so with the weight growth, there's sometimes a little bit more weight gain. With the length growth, there's sometimes a bit less weight gain. Mm -hmm. They're also growing head circumference, so their brain is also growing. So it's really important that if we are going to give mom counseling around weight gain that we don't feel is adequate, that we match it in line with length, and Mm -hmm. head circumference Mm -hmm. and everything. And that's why your story is quite tragic in that and so common, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. even still today, is that that's just so weight-focused in individual moments Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. looking at the big picture and the whole story. And Mm -hmm. I think that can really shift the perspective when you are talking about weight.
1: So you've spoken about a couple of different growth charts there. You've spoken about weight length and head circumference. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should just touch on growth charts Are they important? Should we be throwing them out altogether? How should we be reading them? You know, which ones do we place importance on that type of thing?
2: So I think just to give a brief, like one minute history of growth charts, it's important to remember that it's taken an average of a group of children and a group of demographics around the world in certain places, and we are then creating a norm. Mm -hmm. So it's not looking at your individual child, your individual family genetics, There's many, many different growth charts. There's over 100 growth charts Mm. in the world. And we tend to use the World Health Organization growth charts in South Africa, which is really developed focusing around developing countries, So it's appropriate to a degree, but not for every single child. I find, for example, certain different ethnic groups, for example, like children who are of Indian ethnicity, they will tend to be smaller and they never fit on nicely onto our growth curves. And they always look like they're failing to thrive. And they always panicking and always needing to be fed more and it's actually not fair they need to be really plotted according to that norm so that's just one example there's another growth chart which i find gets used quite often in the private clinics which is the cdc growth chart and that's really more a european american based growth chart And this, unfortunately, is also not really appropriate for all the baby groups and that. So that's why it is important because it tells us a story. So again, it's not necessarily that line, like which line is my child on? It's more is your child following a curve. Mm -hmm. So that's very consistent over all growth charts Mm -hmm. is that there are norm curves, And we want the children to be following one of them, whichever one they fall onto, that's the one they follow. Mm -hmm. There's a red alert if a child will drop below two curves or go above two curves, so Mm -hmm. if they suddenly go. From say the bottom curve onto the second, third curve very dramatically, mm-hmm. we would need to just ascertain what's happening. Are they correcting mm-hmm. or have are they over being overfed? Mm-hmm. If a child goes from say the third curve and jumps right down to the bottom curve, that's a concern because is there something wrong? Are they ill? Are they suddenly not taking in as much or, or actually being able to utilize the nutrients? So they, they do tell us stories. So they, they are important, but I think they need to be held very lightly and mm. be interpreted very accurately. You get an age for length growth curve. You get an age for head circumference, age for weight. Mm-hmm. And then we have growth curves that look at the relationship between the three. Mm-hmm. And those are probably the most useful growth curves.
1: Very interesting, but not something that really the layperson or a mom would be looking at that combination. But I think what's really important as a takeaway here for moms is it's not so much how much your baby is weighing each week, but just that they're following some sort of curve and not crossing two curve lines. And it's quite interesting because on the Parent Sense app, when we built the weight chart, I, I, I clocked in with you right at the beginning and I didn't want lines on it, like very specific hard lines. So we've got shaded areas that we want babies just to kind of grow along a trajectory, but not as you say, crossing lines. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the important principle there. They, they're useful for probably medical professionals and they're useful to watch if a baby's crossing the curves, but ultimately mm-hmm. it's not the be all and end all. And that means that babies don't have to be on the middle line, you know, that. 50th centile, which of course is the proverbial box that we're trying to fit everybody into, which we which we really don't want to do. Now, what about prem babies, Kath? I know you deal a huge amount of prem babies, because now they're obviously going to start off a curve because they're starting at an age below where the curves actually start. Do you plot their curves for their actual age or for their corrected age and what sort of curves do you expect with prem babies?
2: Yeah, so I think that's, so we get very, so we do, the one thing that's kind of, so we've got a really good The Fenton graph is a curve that we use for prem babies. So it basically plots them from very, very premature, so even up to like 20 weeks premature, and it can plot them right up to birth. What is really important is that the expected date of birth becomes the first plot on our standard curves and books Uh and all those things. And so I always say, your date that you expected your baby to be born, which mm. is between 38 and 40 weeks. when So that's normally around discharge from the neonatal ICU. And that is, uh, that is where you would plot that weight would become the birth weight, that naught on your growth curve. And if you plot like that, your baby will look a lot more healthier than mm. if you plot with your baby's actual age in other words the age that your baby has been around and outside mm. of the womb mm. Mm. so we prefer to plot corrected age on the traditional growth curves which is in your books that you get at your clinic or at the hospital when your baby's born
0: this episode is brought to us by ParentSense, the all-in-one baby and parenting app that help you make the most of your baby's first year Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting.
1: So if you are presented with a growth chart as a mum that, that starts at, at naught, at obviously at, at birth, mm-hmm. you actually really wouldn't even be plotting their, their pre, if they've been alive for six weeks ahead of their due date, you wouldn't even be plotting it on there and you'd start on their due date. Okay, yes. Very And that's interesting. really,
2: really important and mm. really helpful. Mm. And it takes away a lot of the pressure, which is often put on prem babies yeah. because they, are, they literally will get discharged on their due date and they will weigh what a healthy term would weigh, mm. but they definitely won't weigh what a six-week-old would weigh even though they've been, like you say, around for six weeks. Mm. And that's often a huge confusion. And I have to really be sad in saying that it's not even understood by
1: a lot of the medical profession. That's very, very interesting, Kath. Sure. So when should we, I mean, we've spoken about not worrying too much. We've spoken about not becoming obsessed with kind of exactly what the weight is. But when do you start to worry about weight gain or lack thereof? So if if I I do have an underweight baby, when should I be wondering or, or worrying?
2: Yeah, so obviously if a baby, all babies need to be gaining weight. Okay, that is really important. Some weeks they'll gain more than others, but we want them consistently to be gaining weight. And we would like them to be following the curve at which they... Started out on having said that, you do get some babies born really big and you, know, you find they might lose a bit of weight, and then they start a new curve. So I normally give them about three to four weeks to get onto the curve and find their curve. Mm. And so between that, those first six weeks, that's the curve that then you allow them to, well, you kind of encourage them to grow on, and that's where you want. So if they start dropping away from that curve, once mm. they found their happy curve, then you are concerned. If there's any weight loss, that's a sign of concern. So babies definitely shouldn't be losing weight you don't want to see that if you have a slow week but then the next week it picks up there's no problem there at all but if you're consistently finding that your baby is like under if your newborn is under 80 grams a week consistently you'll notice they won't be able to follow their curve so it's, it's all does tell us what's happening when you look at the curve if their length, so it's important for moms, and that's why I mention length. It's important for moms to ask what the baby's length is. You know, I've never met a mom that doesn't know the baby's weight to the mm-hmm. point one. nor gram but very seldom do moms actually know the height and it's largely because as healthcare professionals we are lazy when it comes to that you know myself included and something I really make a point of more and more is looking at the height Mm. because that's also a really good measurement of health Mm -hmm. and invariably if the baby is growing in height even if the weight is you know, kind of edging along a bit slowly. Mm. Then you know your baby is getting good nutrition.
1: Okay, excellent. That's really good to know. Okay, so we've spoken about those really newborn days, those kind of first seventeen. You know, four to four to six months of of age, seventeen weeks of kind of. Should we be concerned if weight gain is not great? Now, many times when weight gain starts to slow at around about three to four months, parents immediately want to start to put their babies onto solids, which is not necessarily the worst thing, but Is it going to actually solve the weight gain issue? And is this something that parents should be looking to do?
2: So, yeah, I think it's a brilliant question, Meg, because you and I both know that the introduction of solids in the beginning is about learning to eat and experiencing the journey of food. And so if you start to put pressure on solids to get your baby to either sleep through the night or gain weight, Better, then you're going to take all the joy and the fun out of the feeding journey. Mm-hmm. And that's really a dangerous space and place to be. So I really would say don't start solids with the idea in mind to have your baby gain more weight or to mm-hmm. have your baby sleep better. Rather, start solids because it's appropriate time, definitely around four months, is appropriate. So if it does coincide with the weight not being as adequate as what you had hoped or what your healthcare professional hopes, starting solids is important, but it's not going to solve that problem. So rather look then at increasing the milk or figuring out the milk and fixing that then putting all the pressure on solids to be the solution to better weight gain.
1: Okay. And now, I mean, you kind of mentioned something there to look to the milk rather than milk, to look to the solids. And so I might throw in a little bit of a curveball. Is there any sense in changing type of milk in order to increase weight gain? In other words, get, coming off breastfeeding onto formula or coming off a certain formula onto another formula?
2: Yeah. So, I, look, I'm always big one to preserve breastfeeding for as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So, I would really, for for me to suggest that a mom needs to stop breastfeeding for better weight gain, would really mean that the child's in in a bad space and Mm. the the breast milk is just not sufficient and those are very rare cases but they do exist and yes in that case would be possibly using top-up formulas so in addition to continuing the breastfeeding but I definitely wouldn't do away with the breastfeeding altogether there are things that we can add and do it might mean a mom expressing and we can add a 40 fine supplement to the breast milk which could make it a bit richer and mom can still offer breast milk to the baby. Otherwise, we do have formulas that are higher in calories than a standard formula. And we can use that in cases where it is indicated and needed. However, what we do know is that if we unnaturally fatten babies up, in other words, go against their genetics, Mm -hmm. we are actually pre-programming them to be potentially obese children Mm. and then adults Mm. so we used to do this this is very sad to say but we used to do this especially in the PREM environment we used to believe that all PREMs needed to get onto that middle line as quickly as possible Mm. because you're born small as a PREM you just got pumped with all the calories that we could possibly find and give you and what happened is we had this kind of huge amount of rebound obesity in PREM children around the age of nine and so we have changed our strategy and so we talk about growing our prims slow and steady versus trying to fatten them up and get them to meet their peers as quickly as possible and you know what I've always said we do that developmentally with our prims. we allow them to take time to develop and do their gross modes and their fine modes mm. we give them time we always correct mm. for age and give them time so we need to do that with
1: their nutrition and with their weight as well sure okay. very interesting and actually a little bit scary this this thing of of this kind of rebound overweight or obesity you know when they're nine years old is this something that we see with other children so so, so let's say we have a baby and i mean my best friend when we had well, we had our first borns together so we were like during the headlights and i had this very underweight little skinny scrawny guy and she had this really 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 fat baby i mean he was he was really really fat she couldn't clean between the, the folds in his neck and around his thighs he was he was exclusively breastfed but was a very 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 fat baby i guess my question is is there a higher risk of obesity heart disease diabetes any of the kind of weight related chronic illnesses in a child who is very overweight early in infancy, even if it's not that he's being intentionally fattened up?
2: Yeah, so there is there is a higher risk of obesity late in life and therefore lifestyle diseases. So if obesity is in those first kind of three years of a baby's life. However, on the good news side, if you are exclusively breastfeeding, We know that breast milk tends to lay down a lot more brown fat cells. So obesity has got a lot to do with the type of fat cells. You get brown fat cells and white fat cells. Mm. White fat cells are more artificial fat cells that are laid down early on through either overfeeding or through food that is more unnatural for a child. So anything not breast milk will be more likely to lay down white fat cells. Mm. Versus the the breast milk, which we know lays down more brown fat cells, mm-hmm. partially because of the way the body regulates itself when with the feeding of breast feeding, and that the baby you can't really measure the mills and however if, if you start measuring mills and you do doing express breast milk we have found that you can also get white fat cells being laid down. So we think Mm -hmm. it's more due to the overfeeding Mm -hmm. versus breast milk versus Mm -hmm. formula. Mm -hmm. So we tend to be easier to overfeed with formula because we look at the tin and we think that's what the baby Mm -hmm. needs to get in, whether they want it or not. Mm -hmm. And so it's easier to actually Mm -hmm. overfeed with formula versus breast milk. So yes, there is a higher risk. However, we do also see babies who are very... Like big babies, healthy, flourishing babies, but we're regulated with their feeding and they are totally normal as older older children and into adult years. So mm. it's more about overfeeding. So following your baby's cues, letting your baby eat intuitively mm. and drink intuitively at the milk, but overfeeding when it comes to keeping too much milk with solids. Or keeping, or you know, just having too much milk into the toddler years, that's actually the higher risk for Mm. your obesity and lifestyle disease later on.
1: Yeah, it's interesting though, Kath, because you know, I mean, you and I, we we have a great intersection between the work that we do. And one of the places where I, I see that intersection is with very, very fussy babies. And so with these hugely colicky babies where they're crying. Mm. a huge amount of the time. The mum therefore looks at them and thinks they must be dissatisfied or hungry. She then feeds them because that's her first line of defense mm. to calm the baby. And so you end up with these babies. And in actual fact, my my friend's kid was one of these where, where yes, she was breastfeeding and she wasn't intentionally trying to fatten him up, but she breastfed like 24 seven mm. for a very long period of time because it was mm. the only way she could soothe him. Um, I mean, what do you think of that? So in, in the circumstance where we have this very colicky baby, the mama is feeding kind of nonstop, it's hourly feeds with a ve- and ending up with a very chunky, very unsettled baby. Is there a a rationale or a place for us to start to recommend spacing feeds a little bit? Mm.
2: For sure, so so that's why I'm saying. I think it's mm-hmm. not like you breastfeeding, so it's mm-hmm. called blanche. Feed as much as you want; your baby mm-hmm. will be fine. Mm-hmm. It's it's comes to regulation, and if yes. the baby can't regulate themselves because they. Crampy and colicky, and as you and I often say, mm. you know, baby when they're little, they don't know the difference between a gas wind and a hunger cue, and so mm. they will respond positively to feeding initially mm. because they feel it soothing them because mm. it creates that soothing experience. For the mom, she seems she feels like she's done the right thing, and so therein lies the risk of overfeeding. So, spacing it becomes so important in those cases, and definitely indicated if baby. is starting to gain a lot of weight because consistent breastfeeding Mm -hmm. we know also has a lot more sugary um, milk that the baby is because mom just doesn't have the chance Mm -hmm. to really create that substantial protein and fat which is really important to also regulate in appetite and Mm -hmm. weight gain as well so it's also interesting just on that note the higher the sugar content of formula of a child's diet and of breast milk
1: the more chances of the white fat cells versus the brown fat cells. Very interesting. Gosh, Kath, it's utterly fascinating. Really, really super super to hear all of this. One of the things, mums, when you go into the app now, we've just updated it and we have a new algorithm that's built into the app in which you can actually develop a routine for your baby based on more information that you want to put in so you can put in your baby's the spaces between baby's feeds for instance or the time that you want your baby to go to sleep in the evening and their bedtime so we, we're putting more control in your hands but what you'll notice when we give you the control to be able to put in the spaces between your baby's feeds we prevent you from putting in sooner than two hours or more than four hours for little babies. And there's, this is exactly the reason for that, that you know, when you're breastfeeding more than two hourly, you're really not giving yourself the opportunity to build up that lovely hind milk and all the fats and the proteins that Kath's talking about. And you run the risk of a baby who is actually a little bit more negly because they're getting so many sugars coming through, so much of that, that lactose is coming through. And so they're battling to actually digest that. And so you get these crampy tummies. So that's one of the reasons why, along with the weight gain side of things that we make, make sure that the that, that spacing feeds nicely. Kath, we've really covered an enormous amount on little babies. And I'd like to move our attention a little bit more towards our toddlers. Toddlers actually, their weight slows down quite dramatically. And, you know, I mean, we've spoken about the slowdown of weight gain between after six weeks or, or as babies move out of that newborn phase. What happens to weight gain as they move into the toddler years? And is this cause for alarm? Yeah,
2: it's an exponential slowing down and it's so hard for moms to really wrap their head around this because there's been so much pressure on them in the baby year was to like get this weight gain and you're looking at weekly weight gains of 100 grams a week or more and it just feels like that's where your focus is. And then you hit this toddler stage and your baby, your toddler maybe gains 100 grams in a month and you panic at first and think, oh my word, what's happening alongside he's becoming fussy and he's not eating the volume that you perceived he should eat. And so you start to equate my toddler's not gaining weight because he's not eating. And then there's this pressure and creates a whole lot of issues, mm. which we know about. So you do, you do want to see the weight gain slow down because if you don't, you would have a giant by the age of five years old, if they actually yeah. grow at the same rate that the baby's growing. Yes. I and mean, if you think about a, a newborn and how they literally like double their weights and then double it again by yeah. a year. You, you can't have that going on and mm-hmm. on and on into your child's life. So you want that slow down, which means it gives you time to breathe because feeding – can actually be a little bit more relaxed. I always say that slow weight gain in the toddler years is grace for us as parents to just not have to panic so much about the calories and that. So we can focus on healthy, good nutrition, but we don't have to be so obsessed with that they are getting every day the right amount and the exact amount, but they can over the space of a week incorporate the foods that they need. So it mm-hmm. takes a lot of pressure off when you stop focusing on that exponential weight gain in those years.
1: Absolutely. Now, I mean, you shouldn't even really, I mean, in the early days, you're weighing your baby weekly and then monthly. How frequently should you actually be weighing your toddler or should you not even be weighing them? Should you just be looking at their health, their energy levels and their sleep? I mean, what what do you think? Do we need to weigh our toddlers?
2: I think you should just weigh your toddlers at vaccination time. So when they go for their vaccinations or to their peed for a follow-up. Obviously, if, you're, if your toddler is really poorly and maybe getting frequently ill then obviously you would take them to the doctor they would check their weight if your child is really not eating well and you are worrying, one of the things we will do is just check their weight, do a reassess, what is their height growth? Because toddlers do a lot more height growing in the, in that age group and then just assess that as well. So no, not weight in isolation, definitely not with the toddler. You definitely want to look at the weight and the height together and the relationship between the two. But they will slim down because they mm-hmm. become more active And so it's got a lot to do also with that. They become more lean. They put on more lean muscle mass versus a baby that's carrying more fat mass. The toddler puts on more lean muscle mass because of the activity level Mm -hmm. that they get involved in. And we know the story where, you know, athletes, professional athletes couldn't even keep up with a toddler's activity level. (laughs) And so based on that, a toddler is burning a lot more energy Mm -hmm. and kind of utilizing their calories very efficiently throughout the day. So you you really don't have to be weighing regularly mm. at
1: all? So if, if I'm a mum who's got a picky eater and I am worried about his weight gain, but of course his weight gain could just be that he's slowed down naturally. Yeah. As a dietitian, maybe give me one or two flags that a mum should look for before she seeks out the advice of, of a dietitian. Like like what what for you, in combination with picky eating and a slowdown in weight gain, what would be the flags that the mum should look for?
2: Well, I think if, if the picky eating removes the whole food group, then I would definitely get advice. So you should, if the whole protein group is out the window or the whole fruit and veggie group is out the window, those are red flags because they're missing out on a whole range of nutrients. Mm-hmm. And then definitely some good sound advice with regards to how to supplement while you're working through that picky eating stage is helpful. And obviously, if it's starts repeatedly getting ill, that's another thing that would also be a red flag. Okay. Children don't, even if they are, sorry, I just must mention this, children, toddlers who are anemic, who have low iron st- mm. stores and really struggle with that, don't necessarily sleep a lot more or look l- l- very lethargic. They actually tend to almost be a bit busier because they are feeling tired and they need to kind of keep themselves awake. So that's, oh. So lethargy or tiredness is not necessarily a good sign. They often sleep much worse and they're actually often a lot more busy if they are lacking in certain nutrients.
1: Very, very interesting, Kath. Wow. If you enjoy my podcast, I would like to share one of my favorite podcasts with you, The Honest Hour. Christina Masaryk is mom to two boys and a third little boy on the way. She's an American expat living in Cape Town, South Africa, since 2008 and decided to start sharing her experiences in parenting since 2017. Having grown up in a dysfunctional family environment in her own childhood, which led to her adoption at the age of 10, Christina is passionate about finding purpose and presence in parenting, as well as exploring our own opportunity for healing and personal growth as we navigate the world of parenting our own children. Christina believes in ending the trauma cycle and that in parenting our own children, we can learn how to reparent ourselves. So pop on over to Christina's podcast, The Honest Hour. And then finally, I guess we need to talk about the overweight toddler. So we've spoken about the risk of obesity and and what this does long term and that there is a long term risk for obesity with little children who are overweight. Can you talk a little bit about the overweight toddler?
2: Yeah, so the overweight toddler is often due to the child's eating quite a nice diet, like solid-wise, but they're still drinking a lot of milk. So normally that's the most common thing with the overweight toddler is the amount of their milk consumption. So they continue almost drinking two to three to four bottles ongoing, and they are maybe even drinking in the night still, and they don't actually need those extra calories or the toddler can also be a fussy toddler and overeating on a lot of the white foods, which are a lot of the refined carbs and things like that. So it's it's important to just then assess, you know, is is it that's because just because a child's picky doesn't mean they're gonna be underweight. Mm. So a picky child can also be an overweight child, an overweight toddler. And that's Mm. something just that would also be a red flag if your child is overweight and consuming and eliminating certain food groups and consuming a lot specifically of the white and brown group, which is mostly your refined carbs. Also, it's the introduction of school at this age, and it's the introduction of often toddler birthday parties where there are numerous, especially if you're part of these mom support groups and you go to toddler party after toddler party, so they're being exposed to sugar and junk food that they necessarily weren't exposed to. And they Mm -hmm. will develop a taste for it and a liking for it. And because they can't differentiate between the health of broccoli versus a piece of chocolate, they are going to go for what they prefer and what tastes nicer. Mm because they're not going to make any cognitive decision to choose the broccoli versus the chocolate, And so just, they need so much, but they need so many boundaries and they really need guidance there. And if you are struggling, then you need some assistance, mm-hmm. then seek help. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Just to, and it's often, often I find with these type of children, just one or two consults, just to help a mom, give her boundaries, know what expectations she has and know mm-hmm. what she can put in place with her toddler. Because toddlers often disempower us and make us feel like we can't put anything in place with them. But we actually do. We do still hold the power, even though it doesn't feel like
1: it. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Fabulous advice. Kath, I could sit and talk to you for hours about this. And I'm sure there are a lot of parents, particularly when we touched on the picky eating piece, who actually want more information. The great thing is that you have a picky eating workshop that's already loaded in the app, which parents can go and listen to. And Kath is currently building a picky eating masterclass as well, which will be a much more extensive a course and she'll she can take you through you know just really a lot more of that so have a look at the app the parent sense app go and have a look kath is on there and you can also reach out to her at nutripedes as well you can follow her on instagram and facebook a wealth of information when it comes to infant feeding so kath it's all we have time for today but it has been absolutely incredible thank you so much for as usual just sharing your wealth of information pleasure thanks for having me thanks kath
0: Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.